Well, good morning. I'm thankful that we can come into this place this morning and we can worship and we can praise without fear. We can freely worship him. And I thank you, choir, for opening our service that way. And I want to welcome you to our service today. If you're visiting with us, we are thankful that you chose to join us in this place today. And if you would like more information concerning the ministries here at East Hillsville Baptist Church, we would encourage you to do a couple things. One is if you would take a minute to fill out the what we call a care card if you got a bulletin. Or if you have a cell phone and know how to use QR codes, we have a QR code in the lobby and in the bulletin. And it's just a simple information form. We would love to know who you are and give you a chance to ask any questions and get more information. We also encourage you to pick up a guest bag at the table in the lobby before you leave. But uh, just a couple of announcements as we begin our service. Just a reminder that um, our women on mission are collecting collecting non-perishable food items and specifically items listed in the bulletin for our Christian Crisis Center here in Alexander County. And as most of you know, as a part of our budget, we support them monthly. When you give and you tithe, a part of that goes to the Christian Crisis Center and they distribute funds as they see needs here in our community. And then also our women are collecting these items as they distribute food. And that will be through this Wednesday. So if you'd like to be a part of that, there's bins located in the lobby and in the elevator entrance at the covered drop-off. You can drop that food in there and that will be taken to the Christian Crisis Center. And then also a reminder, next Sunday evening will be our floating reception for uh, Sharon Adkins as she has served for 13 years as our music director. We want to take that time to honor her and thank her her service. So next Sunday from 4 to 5.30, we'll have a floating reception in the lobby out here. There'll be some light foods and refreshments, but you come and go as you need to. But we just want to take time to honor her and thank her for her service and ministry here at East Tellsville Baptist Church. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to take a minute, stand up, look around, see somebody you've not had a chance to speak to this morning, welcome them to the service.
ask you to remain standing for our prayer time. As uh, we come to this time of prayer every week, we're going to invite you to come. If you'd like to come around the altar and kneel and pray, we certainly invite you to do that. We have many on our prayer list, as you see that every week. Those names change, and there's a long list of folks that we are praying for. And during this prayer time, you may just want to take your bulletin out and go through some of those names and pray specifically for those who have need. But one of the things I feel like we need to do as we just sung about is our God is worthy of praise. Has God been faithful to you in any way? Has he not been faithful through difficult times, through good times? God is worthy of praise. And sometimes we just bring our needs during this time, but I just feel like we just need to stop as a congregation and just praise the Lord today. I don't know what he's done in your life that you just want to specifically say, God, I want to praise you for this. I want to thank you for that. Some of you just need to thank God for your salvation. Maybe you were saved as a child, but think about all he has done in your life and spared you from and protected you from. For some of you, you were saved later in life and he redeemed you from a place that you never thought you could get out of and he has saved you and redeemed you. There's so much in this congregation to praise him for. So as we go to this time of prayer, I'm just going to invite you to come and kneel around the altar and I'm going to lead us in a time of praise and worship because our God is worthy of that praise today. Let's sing. Lord, I need you, Father, we want to thank you today. Lord, we say thank you, but Lord, there's so many specific areas of our life when we just take time, when we stop to acknowledge, Lord, where would we be without you? And God, you are worthy of thanksgiving and praise. Lord, all of us have reason to worship you. So Lord, right now, we just want to thank you for so many things. And for you personally, just thank him. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, just thank him for your salvation. Thank him for his love and mercy that is new every morning. Let's thank God that he answers prayer. And thank him that he has been faithful to you. God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we're thankful that we can call on you. Lord, we're thankful you answer. Lord, you hear. And Lord, you are simply worthy. You are Lord of lords. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. Lord, we're thankful in this place there is forgiveness. And Lord, in light of your holiness and you being a perfect judge, in your great mercy sent Christ take our place so that we can be made right with you so that we can experience forgiveness and Lord even as believers when we stumble and when we fall Lord there is forgiveness when we come back and just simply agree with you God thank you for your mercy that is rich thank you that there is no end to that and God thank you for what you've done in this congregation answered prayers throughout this year Lord even answered prayers this week and Lord we give you all the praise and all the glory for what you alone can do Lord, help us to walk humbly with you. Lord, help us to trust you every step in the coming days. And Lord, ultimately help us to continue to honor you and obey you. So Lord, thank you for your presence in this place. And Lord, we just want to say, God, you are worthy. We praise you and we lift up your name and thank you that you hear our prayers. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This morning, um, by way of preface, about three weeks ago, Kevin came to me and he said, hey, can you uh, fill the pulpit for us for February 25th? And I said, of course, I'll be happy to. I'm laying in bed, this is about three weeks ago, I'm laying in bed last week and uh, I think to myself, just kind of thinking about what's going through, all, trying to go through the next week and um, I think I told Courtney about 11.30 that night, I said, Courtney, guess what? I'm preaching after we go to Winter Jam. So we uh, took 50 students last night to Winter Jam, and uh, we got back about midnight. So uh, this morning, if you see me try to stop myself from yawning, y'all just show me some grace. If I see you yawning, since everybody can see me, I'll point you out and say, don't do that, okay? Um, 
But if you will, grab your Bibles, and uh, while you're turning to Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 this morning, uh, by way of introduction, I want us to take a brief moment and look at the idea of the status quo, okay? Uh, the status quo is, are our slides working this morning? Hopefully. There we go. All right, so the status quo uh, is the existing state of affairs. It's just the way things are, okay? Uh, you may have said, uh, well, it is what it is. Anybody ever say that or heard that? It, it just, it is what it is, right? Um, Daniel was not that guy, okay? Daniel had a, uh, a holy defiance, if you will. Uh, Daniel was never one to say, yep, it is what it is, okay? Daniel had a holy defiance, and there was a reason that he had that. He was prepared, okay? So um, if you're a visual learner, there's a couple guys up there on the surfboard. You'll see some little pictures this morning uh, to kind of, if you're a visual learner, uh, think about it this way. Maybe um, the ocean is life itself, and you're inside the ocean, and you guys have all been there when the waves just kind of keep coming, and then you get knocked over, and then you get rolled, and you see the little four- and five-year-old out there just getting tossed by the waves, right? Okay, we could allow life to treat us that way, or we can turn towards the shore and swim and let the waves propel us to where we want to go. And that's what Daniel did, Okay. Daniel took the waves, took what was coming towards him, and used them for his good to propel him forward, okay? Theodore Roosevelt said this, Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take the rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat, so we don't have to live, we don't have to be in this gray twilight that knows neither victory or defeat. And Daniel didn't do this because Daniel had a, he had a correct perspective on who God was, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 12, you don't have to look at this verse, but I'll paraphrase it for you. It says that God measures out the oceans with his hands. So he's scooping out the oceans and measuring them when he puts them into place. And then the very next line, it says that he takes his hand and he maps out the stars. He maps out the heavens with the breadth of his hand. That's what God did, okay? And then in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, it says, I'll read this one for you. It says, the, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. So if we have a proper view of God, we are literally sitting, those of us who believe in Christ, are sitting in the arms of God, and he is with the other hand measuring out the oceans and measuring out the heavens with the breath of his hand. So we don't have to settle for a status quo because we are resting in a God who scoops out the waters with his hands and sets the stars in the sky with the breath of his hand. Romans 12 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not settle for the status quo. Daniel didn't do that, and we're going to see how he was uh, not affected by his surroundings. So if you will, stand up this morning. Let's read Daniel chapter 1, just looking at verses uh, 1 through 8. It says, in the, year, or in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of nobility, Used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a portion of the the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were educated for three years, and at the end of that they were to go and stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the units gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. 
Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for a chance to be able to dive into your word this morning. Lord, help us to see the life of Daniel and the way that he prepared himself for the trials that come in his life. Lord, help us to be resolved like Daniel. Lord, help us to leave this morning a little bit more like you because we've opened your word, we've studied it, and we've applied it to our lives. Lord, we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right. First point of four this morning. When life happens unexpectedly, God is moving supernaturally. So we don't want to glance over this, these first two verses. There's something important in a timestamp of the book of Daniel. All right? It says, in the third year of the king of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, all right, just that little section there is a timestamp. This is 605 BC, okay? 605 BC. All right, now it's going to say the same thing two times back to back, so we need to take note of that. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So he came in, circled Judah, all right, circled Jerusalem, and no man in, no man out. Okay, and he eventually took over. <clears throat> he eventually took over Jerusalem. Okay, that's the facts of history. Okay, it is what it is. That's exactly what happened. And then the verse two tells us another view of the exact same thing. And this time it says, "And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand." Okay, so there's two views here. There's a historical view in verse one. It is what it is. It happened. It's a fact in history. We can go back and look at secondary sources and see that Babylon took over Judah, okay? And then there's also the second verse, which is the theological view or the God's view, and it's that God simply just handed over King Jehoiakim, okay? All right, so I thought about 9-11 because this is a, it's a moment in time where if you were alive, you remember it, okay? For Daniel being taken from uh, Judah across to Babylon, he would have remembered it, okay? So, uh, those of you that were alive in 2001, uh, let's see, Matt, you probably were. Matt, where were you at on 9-11? In school, third grade. Uh, listen, where were you at? Some of you are like, man, I'm old. Sixth grade, east middle. Greg, where were you at 9-11? Working at Taylor King Furniture. Uh, let's see, uh, Dad, where were you at? He was at Napa and Hickory, buying parts for a skid steer. Uh, let's see, let me get one more. Let me get one more. Uh, trying to see through the lights here. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, Archer. Ben, where are you at? All right, he was in high school in Miss Johnson's class. I was in seventh grade. I was on the green hallway with Miss Elder. I don't know if you guys know who Miss Elder was, but Miss Elder let us watch the news while all this was going on, and uh, I remember quite vividly. She turned the TV off and she said, if y'all can't behave and quit talking while the TV's on, I'm cutting it off. So she cut it off and we never watched it the rest of the day. So thank you, Miss Elder, for cutting off the world history as it was happening. Um, that's the factual view, okay? That's the factual view. It happened. We can all agree. Yes, it happened. It was chaos, okay? It was chaos. But God in that moment was teaching us individually something different, okay? So for me in seventh grade, I remember coming home that night uh, we all got home, we went out front, we had a, at that time, we had a, an American flag that was flying on the corner of our porch, okay, now it's on a big pole, it's like 30 feet tall, and it's got the American flag and the Navy flag, because uh, my dad served in the Navy, okay, so I remember that night though, what God was teaching me that night was we circled up as a family around that flag, and we prayed, and at that moment, I realized that God was bigger than the God that I knew from Hidden Out North Carolina, God on a, we could pray to a God on a worldwide scale across the nations that he could handle worldwide affairs. That was the first time in my life that I realized that. And so maybe God taught you something through 9-11. Now, a personal story, I'll give you another one, the little medical thing there. Um, just one for me, and you can think about yours, but uh, another one for me was uh, one day I was, before I was in school, I was going, I was running a cell phone store here in town, 
If you guys know on the corner there where the, um, used to be the vacuum shop, y'all remember that? A uh, little old gas station, they call it Smiley's. Was it Smiley's? Maybe. Anyways, I was in that store, and uh, I made a phone call to my mom. My mom had uh, been going to the doctor because they thought she had cancer. And so a few weeks prior to this day, they did a biopsy and said, you know, everything looks good. Uh, it looks benign, and, you know, we're going to just send it off just to make sure. And uh, so mom goes to the doctor this day uh, by herself. Dad didn't take off work. I didn't go. Nobody went. She went by herself. Uh, and so that afternoon, whenever uh, I knew that she was out of the appointment, uh, I called mom. I said, Mom, uh, how'd it go today? And she said, well, I've, I've got cancer. And uh, so um, I remember, what did I do? I hung up with mom. I dropped the phone in the trash can. I got the phone out of the trash can, went and I locked the doors at the store, went in the back and cried for a little bit. And then I, got in the, I called my boss. I said, all right, I got to go to my, my mom's house. Uh, and she just found out she had cancer and nobody's with her because nobody went to the doctor with her this morning. And uh, so I'm, I'm headed to, I leave there. I'm headed to uh, my grandma's house because that's where mom went. She went to grandma's house. She, she wouldn't be at home by herself. And uh, I go up the driveway. Before I get there, Again, this is one of those time stand still moments, but I'm on the way there, and I pass my dad. My dad went past me, and I flashed my lights at him, and so I pull into Grandma's driveway. Dad turns around in Uncle Babe's driveway, and I guess somewhere down the road down there, and he comes up behind me, and so Dad, dad doesn't have a cell phone, okay? So Dad is unaware of what's happened. Uh, my dad's 73, about to be 74 this year, and does not carry a cell phone, will not carry a cell phone because they're sissy. Is there anybody in here that does not carry a cell phone, refuses to do it? See, Dad, you're all alone. <laughs> no, there's one, Miss Bowser back there. All right, you got one, you got one, team no cell. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, uh, I get out of the car, my dad's come up the driveway, and I, I, maybe he saw my face or whatever, but I told him what, what mom had told me, he, that she had cancer, and we both are crying in the driveway, and then we turn around and put our backs to the car, and we slide down, and we're sitting on the ground, crying in the driveway, and then mom comes out. She comes out of the garage. <laughs> it's funny. Um, she comes out of the garage, and she comes around the side of the car, and she says, well, boys, y'all going to have to dry it up because neither one of you are going to be any help to me like that. Okay? So, but that was a, that was a moment in, in my life where time stood still, and I remember every detail of that, and something that, it, it was chaotic on the outside, but on the, on the inside, what God taught me was, Justin, you're a fixer. You like to fix things. When something's wrong, you want to fix it. And this was the first time in my life that I couldn't fix it. I couldn't take it from her. I couldn't go through the treatments for her. I simply could not fix it. And it was the first time in my life where I had to depend on God to take care of my mom because I couldn't do it, okay? And you can ask Courtney, I'm a fixer. I want it fixed. I want to fix her right away, and she's not. If we have an argument, she wants to go off and, you know, think about it for a little bit. I'm a fixer. I want to fix it. But that was the first time in my life where I was unable to do anything about it, and God taught me that through that experience. So what are those moments in your life where time stands still? Maybe you haven't had one of those moments yet, okay, but just know that those moments are coming, okay? Those moments are going to come when your life stands still, okay? Um, but when those, those moments come, we need to understand that God is working in every circumstance, behind every scene. John Darby, a famous actor, said this, God works behind the scenes, but he's moving all the scenes that he is behind. Romans 8, 28 is kind of a nice little pillow we can lay our heads on at night. It says this, and we all know that all things work for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. All these things, all this chaos in Daniel's life is going to be worked for the good but not because of anything. It's because of Daniel's preparation, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar in verse one, he thinks he's besieged Jerusalem. He thinks he's the one in control, but in reality, God is in control and God is setting up Daniel for something amazing to happen throughout his life and through the Babylonian kingdom. Proverbs 21 says this about a king. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the river's waters, he turns it wherever he wishes. King Nebuchadnezzar's heart is in the hands of God. So in those moments of chaos, in those when life happens unexpectedly, 
know that God is moving supernaturally. Let's move on to point number two this morning. The world demands conformity. Okay, I'm not going to go back to, to read verses three through seven. You can read them this afternoon if you'd like. But there's four things that happen. They're trying to assimilate these captives as they bring them over from Judah over to Babylon. The first thing they try to do, they try to isolate these people. Now, there's more than four. We have four that's mentioned in Scripture. I'm sure there's more than four. But the first way of conformity is to isolate them. So if you look at this map here, I found a nice little map. 500 miles from Jerusalem by the sea all the way up and around there to Babylon. 500 miles. Now, these people are young, okay? Daniel is said to be about 15 years old. So you can imagine a 15-year-old that is taken from their homeland, no parents, no family, no temple in Jerusalem, no nothing, okay? Daniel and these three guys are marched 500, 500 miles away from their home. That's the first way of assimilation. The second one is indoctrination, okay? They tried to teach these. They gave them three years. They put them in school. It's kind of like a college, if you will, for the Chaldeans. And these Chaldeans, you can go back and look at some of their ancient texts. These people were wild, okay? They would be into uh, astronomy. They were into uh, trying to be mediators between King Nebuchadnezzar and all of his little g-gods. They would sacrifice certain animals and cut apart certain organs inside those animals to read between the lines to figure out what was trying to be said to them from those little g-gods. These people were outrageously wild in their thought. And so they were trying to take away all of the Judaism, all of they had learned from their homeland, strip that from them and place inside of them the Chaldean way of thinking, okay? The third way was to intimidate them. Okay, now you gotta think, a 15-year-old leaves Jerusalem and walks into a city like this. This is the gate of Ishtar, okay? Uh, the main gate going into the city of Babylon. So you can imagine just being a small little guy in middle school, looking up and walking into this, okay? The second picture is another picture. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's, or a rendering of what they think his uh, palace looked like, okay? This is called the Hanging Gardens on top of this. If you uh, think Carabas on steroids, okay? Carabas has little plants on top. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are Olive Garden people, and that's fine. We'll pray for you. Um, but uh, these are the Hanging Gardens. This is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar married this lady from the mountains, okay? From the mountains. And so she was used to seeing greenery on the mountains and things like that. So King Nebuchadnezzar spent a bunch of time figuring out how to create this for his queen. They pumped water up from the Euphrates River. You can see the river there kind of in the bottom right-hand corner of the picture. They pumped water up from the Euphrates River to the top of this and had many waterfalls that would flow down off the top of this palace that would let all these plants grow, okay? So again, you gotta think, young guy seeing this for the first time would be extremely, extremely intimidating, okay? And the next way they tried to intimidate him was by food. They placed the king's food in front of him. And uh, of course, if you read the middle of chapter one, we know that Daniel did not uh, partake of the food. This is where we get the Daniel diet from, uh, is from this text. Um, so if you were to sit down, a, a guy from Jerusalem, if he were to sit down in front of this table, he would know he's not at home, okay? So for me, if I go to anywhere, let's just say I'm going to Lenore, Hickory, Wilkesboro, Statesville, and I sit down at this establishment, and I'm with my kids, and there's sometimes a playground there, and we're eating this wonderful chicken sandwich with waffle fries. I haven't told you the name of it yet, but you'll get to it in a minute. And they bring out the food, and I say thanks, and they say, it's my pleasure. You don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. We ain't in Taylorsville anymore. Okay. These guys here would say, we ain't in Judah anymore. Okay. They're in front of this massive table of food. It'd be so intimidating, so intimidating. And um, the last one, the, the last way was to redesignate them. If you're into rhyme or alliteration, redesignate. It means rename, okay? They renamed them. Uh, I've listed these out for you. It's kind of small in the text, so let me read them out to you. They took away, they stripped their Jewish names that they were given by their parents, 
and they were given these Chaldean names. Daniel meant God is my judge, and they changed his name to Belshazzar, which is Baal is my protector. Again, Baal is one of the Babylonian gods. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious, and they changed his name to Shadrach, servant of Aku, which is the moon god. Mishael, his name meant who is like God, changed his name to Meshach, which is who is like Aku, which is the moon god again. Azariah, Yahweh is my helper, was his given name, and they changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo. And that were the, those were the four ways that they tried to uh, assimilate these guys or get them to conform into the Babylonian world. Let's move on to point number three this morning. It's nonconformity begins within. Nonconformity begins within. Daniel 1.8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. The whole book of Daniel is hinged on this verse. Okay? If you know anything about the book of Daniel, you know that in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream, and he says, if you cannot tell me my dream and interpret my dream and tell me what it means, I'm going to chop you up into little pieces, and I'm going to lay your home to rubble. Okay? But Daniel was resolved through that process. In chapter 3, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go to the fiery furnace. Okay? I think chapter 3, verse 15 is something, but God, I know you can save me from this, but even if not, we will go through the fire. Okay? These guys are resolved. And you can go through all the book of Daniel and see the resolved that these guys had. Resolved means this. It means to put something in place or to firmly determined to do something, to be firmly determined to do something. This is what Daniel did. God, Daniel's decisions were premeditated. His decisions were biblically based. In chapter 9, he's quoting Jeremiah in his prayer. So he's very, very familiar with the scrolls that were available to him. Daniel put God first. And all of the decisions that Daniel made, they were also personal. Remember, he's been isolated. Mom and dad is not there to tell Daniel what to do in these situations. He's in front of King Nebuchadnezzar in his palace, and he is resolved as a 15-year-old. Daniel has done something in order to be resolved. So in order to be resolved, you must be prepared. Christian character is not forged in times of adversity. It is revealed. I'll read it again. Christian character is not forged in times of adversity. It is revealed. I thought about some of these things this week. Uh, Kevin helped me out with a few of them. I had a professor in college when I was in college doing my undergrad work. And um, I think it was in my New Testament class. And I remember taking a test and he said to the class, he said, do you guys mind if I pray for you? And I, we were like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead, go ahead. So we bow our heads and he says, Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for these students and their willingness to be able to come and to learn. And then he said this, I pray that you give them a score based on the efforts of their studies. And we were all like, no, stop praying, stop praying, right? Preparation was key. Professor knew it. He said, God, give them a grade according to their studies, okay? All right, so I've got a few things here that some are humorous and some are not. Um, and I, I encourage you to help me along with these. It says, when the test begins, it's not time to study. And here's what I need you to say. I should have done that already, okay? I should have done that already. Here's the next one. When you're lost, it's not time to read a map. I should have done that already. Right, wives? Your husband's in the car, you should have read a map. All right? When famine comes, it's not time to plant. I should have done that already. Students, listen up. When the date begins, it's not time to set boundaries. I should have done that already. When the drought comes, it's not time to dig a well. I should have done that already. That one was for you, Chris Russell. When the flood comes, it's not time to build a boat. I should have done that already. You're starting to catch on? When the fire begins, it's not time to look for water. I should have done that already. When the economy crashes, it's not time to save money. I should have done that already. 
When the marathon begins, it's not time to get in shape. I should have done that already. An early Puritan named by John Owen said this, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So your prayer life, your personal study, your corporate worship, those things matter. Your response to trials in life are dictated by your preparation. Your response to trials in life are dictated by your preparation. Are you prepared? Final point this morning. God rewards the resolved. Verses 20 and 21. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So in verse 20, we see that they're given ten times more wisdom and understanding than those who come through their graduating class, if you will. Okay? And that wisdom and understanding is what Daniel needed to propel him through the king of Babylon. Verse 21 says that Daniel was there until Darius the Mede. That's four kings removed from Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel served almost 80 plus years under the Babylonian kingdom and he saw the next kingdom come in which was the Medes and the Persians and he saw that in a vision, in a dream in Daniel chapter two. So Daniel was prepared. Daniel was resolved, but he was resolved because of what? His preparation, okay? So as a, a closing example, if you will, I've got, I wouldn't be a good student pastor if I didn't have some sort of object lesson, right? <clears throat> I've got these two, these two items here. This is a, a thermometer here, all right? Now what's unique about a thermometer is that a thermometer, um, the temperature on it rises and falls based on what? It's surrounding temperature, okay? So I don't know if you guys did this when you were a kid, but you take, little, you take the thermometer and you do this right here real fast until it gets up to like 102, 101, and you take it to your mom or your dad, and you're like, ah, oh, I just don't feel good this morning. I just don't feel good this morning. I'm not going to school, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Just, just a word of advice. You want somewhere between 99 and 102, okay? Maybe 101. 102 is getting pretty extreme, okay? They might know you might get on to you, okay? I'm waiting on the day where, like, Silas comes to me, and he's like, he gives it to me, and he's like, Dad, I just don't feel good this morning. And it's going to say, like, 115. <laughs> I'm going to say, all right, boy, put your clothes on, but we're not going to go to the doctor. We're going to go see Rhett Miller because you're about to die, right? <laughs> All right, but the thermometer, it, it goes up and down, right, with whatever the surrounding is. This is not Daniel, okay? This is not Daniel. This is Daniel, okay? This is old as well, kind of like Daniel, okay? This is a, uh, a thermostat, okay? Now, I got this from Jeff Worley. So, Jeff Worley, if you see this online, thank you, sir. Props to you. Uh, thermostat. Now, a thermostat works a little bit different than a thermometer, Right? A thermostat, you set that temperature in my house somewhere around 68, 70, somewhere like that, okay? And then what happens after you set that thermometer or set that thermostat? Everything comes to this level. Everything comes to this level, okay? So in life, there's two choices for Daniel and for you. You can be a thermometer your life is affected by whatever happens around you. Or you can be resolved and be a thermostat. And you set that climate in your life, in your workplace, at Walmart, wherever you go, you set that thermostat to the things of God and you just sail. Steady as you can be. Be a thermostat. I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. So I ask you this morning, which one are you? Are you a thermostat? 
or are you a thermometer? And some of you might think, well, I just really don't know if, if me being a thermostat, is that really gonna make that big of a difference in my short lifespan? You know, we still talk about Daniel every year at Christmas time. At Christmas time, a few years after Christmas, there were these guys, they were called the wise men, and they came and found Jesus at his house, about two years old, and they brought gifts. These guys were Chaldeans. Chaldeans are from where? Babylon. 600 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a young guy, 15 years old, who decided to be a thermostat. His name was Daniel. And Daniel's influence in Babylon tipped off these guys to go find a Messiah 600 years after Daniel had passed. So your being a thermostat really makes a difference. It makes a difference now, and it could also make a difference in the future. And keep this in mind. Daniel was able to do this because he had a correct perspective of God. God is holding you in his arm, and with his other hand, he's scooping out the waters. And he's setting the heavens in place with his other hand. Some of you, maybe this morning, you've never been in the arms of Jesus. You've never experienced the gospel. Your life is constantly like a thermometer. Okay? You can have a thermostat this morning. You can set your heart, you can set your life to the things of God. He will guide you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you so much for a chance to be able to look at your word and to study it this morning. God, our lives are chaotic at times. Lord, some people right now are going through a chaotic moment. God, help us to see that when life happens unexpectedly, you are still working supernaturally. God, sometimes, yes, you do work behind the scenes, but you are moving every scene that you are behind. God, help us to take refuge this morning in your arms, in the midst of chaos, and to know that we can be resolved in you. God, help us to see our weekly and daily preparation as important. God, the way that we react to these moments of chaos are dictated by the way that we prepare. God, help us to see our personal prayer time, our personal time in the word. Help us to see that as important. God, it dictates our reactions. God, if there's somebody in here this morning who's never trusted you for their salvation, God, their life is just a continual roller coaster. God, I pray this morning that this would be the morning of salvation, that they would step out of that chaos and into your arms. Lord, all they have to do is call on your name this morning, confess that you are Lord, your death and resurrection was to pay the penalty for their sin. Lord, again, have your way and have your will in this time of invitation. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim.